Welcome to Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. Today is Friday, July 2nd. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined once again by Patrick Jankowski, Senior Vice President of Research here at the Greater Houston Partnership. Today, we're going to talk about the global energy transition to a low-carbon future. How can Houston, as the longtime energy capital of the world, lead the transition, and what exactly will that entail? This week, the partnership in the Center for Houston's Future held a three-day conference on this critical topic, and we're going to get into some of the details today. Patrick, uh, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Jay, it's always good to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, and that is the energy industry. Awesome. Awesome. Patrick, before we delve into the specifics around energy transition, I'd like to set the scene a bit. Can you talk about the current energy landscape and some of the factors that are contributing to where we are right now? AJ, just before you and I got on to do this podcast, I went and checked the website and oil is trading at $75 a barrel. And that's as of July 2nd. Uh, that's up from pandemic in the, in the month of April. Uh, it averaged about $16, $17 a barrel. So you can see it's, it's gone up by a factor of, of almost five. Global crude consumption, uh, it had dropped down to around 80 million barrels a day. Now it's up to about 96.5 million barrels a day. You can see there's been a great recovery there. Yeah. U.S. production. Uh, not recovered quite as much. Uh, we're producing 11 million barrels a day now. Uh, that's down from our peak of about 12.8, 13 million barrels a day prior to the pandemic. Got it. So, Patrick, in the past, when prices have risen as well as consumption, that spelled a boon for Houston. What's different this time around? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting we talk about prices. Houston has been subject to swings of the commodity cycle. And if you look at the worst recession uh, as far as percentage-wise job losses, and that was prior to the COVID pandemic, the worst recession occurred when oil prices fell from uh, $40 a barrel to $10 a barrel back in the 80s. And one of the best boom times we ever had was when oil went from 51 to, to $147 a barrel. And that was part of the, the fracking bust, uh, fracking boom that went from 2010 to 2014. What's different this time is a number of factors. It's not just one. Uh, the oil companies have a high, very high level of debt. Mm. So what they're having to do is struggle with that debt as they're trying to con continue to bring their drilling back up. Uh, Wall Street does not want to lend to the oil and gas firms. Uh, they have lent to them in the past, have not gotten the return on the investment that they thought they should get. And also a lot of oil and gas companies have gone bankrupt and left Wall Street holding this bad debt. Uh, the cash flow that they are getting from these higher oil prices, they're using to, to clean up their balance sheets to pay down that debt, to pay some dividends back to their lenders. And, and also they're putting some of that into more drilling. But uh, see, that cash flow is having to be divided up three separate ways. And there's one thing that may be a little bit obscure for people who don't follow the industry closely. The oil and gas firms have done something called hedging their production. A lot of them entered into contracts at the very beginning of the year and said they would sell up to 50% of their production for around $50, $55 a barrel. And so even though oil is trading at 75, they're not getting 75, they're getting 50 or 55. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing, which is they're not reaping the full reward. Of course, it also prevents them, you hedge your production, so you avoid the downside. If oil was trading at $35 a barrel, they would be able to be selling it at $50 a barrel. So it's got, uh, you know, as they say, the, it cuts both ways. But those are some of the factors why we're not seeing a boom in drilling and a boom in production. Patrick, what are some of the primary factors as you see it that are accelerating the move 
toward energy transition. And actually, we should probably define what we're talking about, right? We have in the past, but I want to make sure all of our listeners know what we're talking about. What is energy transition? Right now, the world, at least prior to the pandemic, was consuming 100 million barrels of crude a day. The transition is to try to wean the world off as much of that as possible. Wean it out of our transportation, wean it out of heating, wean it it out of petrochemical production and so forth. It's trying to reduce the amount of hydrocarbons that we produce and that we burn to try to prevent what everyone refers to as global warming. Yeah, right. That's the biggest concern. The energy transition is a way to moderate global warming, to try to prevent it from, from the earth from getting any warmer than it has. Number of different policies are affecting. A number of factors are affecting that. One is government policies. Uh, some of them are just outright policies, uh, not just in the U.S. but overseas. A lot of nations overseas are banning the outright production of vehicles which are powered by gasoline or diesel. You have also government policies which don't allow you to drill in certain parts of of, of the U.S. Uh, there is environmental pressure from the environmentalists. Some of them, uh, environmentalists, have become very active on some of the, the boards or trying to get active on the boards. They're out there protesting the construction of pipelines. And there's also pressure from the shareholders because the shareholders are looking at the long-term outlook for the oil and gas industry and realize that uh, they are investing in what could be uh, a stagnant industry, an industry which will not grow again. And so they're making sure that the energy companies are truly energy companies and not oil and gas companies. So they're really getting the pressure from multiple sides to transition away from being solely dependent on oil and natural gas to where oil and natural gas is part of their portfolio, but they're also looking for other ways to to generate revenue through solar or through biomass or through wind or through uh, what's known as carbon capture use and storage, all these different ways to mitigate the impact of burning fossil fuels on the climate. And Patrick, you talked about a number of factors. Uh, I'm curious though, specifically the pandemic and what we saw happen worldwide during the last year and a half, how has that affected this transition? Well, if anything, it has accelerated the transition. 30 years ago, people talked about something known as peak oil, and they thought the supply of oil would peak and then we would be running out. Now this discussion has shifted towards peak demand. When will consumption of fossil fuels peak? When will consumption of oil peak? Prior to the pandemic, people thought that the consumption of fossil fuels wouldn't peak until sometime in 2040 or 2050. But we found out that that peak of fossil demand has actually been moved up. There's some schools of thought that says the peak in demand for fossil fuels or the peak in demand for, for oil and gas will be this decade and some next decade. But for sure, it has cut off. It has moved up that transition, that, that peak demand for fossil fuels by anywhere from 10 to 15 years earlier than it would have been. And, and part of that is, is just the hybrid work environment. Part of it is the change in lifestyles. Part is just the additional pressure which is being put on by governments and by environmentalists and by shareholders to move away from fossil fuels. Got it. So let's get into what this actually means for Houston. The partnership has been working for months alongside a team at McKinsey & Company to look at different scenarios. There is a business as usual scenario, an aggressive scenario for lowering carbon and sort of a middle of the road option. What happens to employment in Houston if we continue business as usual and what happens if we are actually aggressive in how we approach the energy transition? Okay, Jay, let, let's take this and let's look at the two extremes. And this is modeling that the, the McKinsey had done with some input from the partnership with some of the models that we have to try to determine the impact on Houston's economy. If 
it's it's a it's a given that we are moving away from fossil fuels. And if Houston does not move its economy away from fossil fuels, the models that McKinsey ran said that the region could lose as many as 270,000 jobs over, over the next 15 to 20 years or 30 years. If we move very aggressively and if we take decisive action, not just to move away from fossil fuels, but to lead the transition for Houston to be seen as a leader, uh, we could create over 500,000 additional jobs over the next 30 years. Got so it. it depends. And, and those are two extremes, but uh, in the middle road would fall somewhere in between. But if we do nothing, easy loss of a quarter of a million jobs. If we rather than just be passive, but we, we're going to get out in front and lead the crowd, lead the transition, that's at uh, 500,000 or more jobs that will be created. So obviously it benefits the region to really be aggressive about this, to really get ahead of it, to ensure that we maintain our position as a, as a leader in, in the energy industry overall, right? Oh, yeah. AJ, uh, in, in the past, one of the biggest engines of growth in Houston has been oil and gas. And so what we need to do is with the energy transition, or let me back up, oil and gas will always be important to Houston. It is a legacy fuel. It is an, in, uh, an industry that will not go away. Even with the transition, we're still going to be needing hydrocarbons for many uses, but we won't be needing quite as much. But what we're hoping is that by Houston leading the transition, this energy 2.0, renewables, alternatives, that becomes a new engine for growth for Houston. And that's where we get these additional 500,000 plus jobs. Got it. Why does Houston, as you see it, Patrick, really make sense as a leader in this space? There are a lot of other places around the country and around the world where new energy solutions are being developed. What kind of advantage do we have here in this region? Actually, there, there, there are several, probably four, five, six, whatever. Let me, let, me just, let me just list off a few of them. For one, is we have a very tech-oriented workforce here. I mean, if you look at we have one of the highest concentration of engineering talent in the world. And that engineering talent grew up serving the oil and gas industry. Now that engineering talent base and, and the computer scientists and, and, and data analysts are going to be serving this alternative energy or the energy transition. Another one is we always already have a very large infrastructure here of, of pipelines and energy companies and engineering companies. So it, it, there are already people who are thinking in this area. So we're trying to leverage what they are already doing. Another is there's already a lot of capacity already. Uh, City Houston gets all its electricity from renewable sources. Mm. If you look at the state of Texas, state of Texas ranks second only to California in solar power generation. And we lead the nation in wind generation. There's already a lot of, a lot of capacity here uh, that, that makes it easier to do things at, at scale. And I guess, I guess that's another thing. If you think about the port and the rail and the airport, when you have these big industrial sectors, it allows you to do, do some things at a very large scale and get the large returns that you would get rather than doing it at a small area. And also just our, our general culture here. We, we have a, a culture that tends to support growth, that tends to support innovation. We tend to be uh, very open in what we uh, allow businesses to do when they're trying to solve problems. We do not overregulate. Got it. So, you know, a lot of discussions this week. Uh, we're not going to get into some of the specifics because we have a lot of experts from really around the world who broke down some of the ways, some of the specific ways that Houston can lead. But on, a, on the energy transition page of our site, we do look at the discussions and provide the partnership strategy for how Houston can actually lead. We're also asking companies of all types, not just those in energy, to commit to supporting the strategy. We invite uh, organizations to do that on our website. But we do get into some of the specifics around carbon capture, around hydrogen. And so I invite uh, our listeners to go to our website, houston.org, and get more details 
around those specific cross-cutting strategies that we're, we're looking to implement. Patrick, thanks for joining me for this discussion this afternoon. AJ, hey, always glad to join you. And once again, I, I hope that the, those who tune into yours and my discussion about the Houston economy are getting some good information and, and help them uh, make either better decisions or, or feel more comfortable about a decision they've already made. Awesome. And that's it for this episode of Value Business Download. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so via your favorite podcast platform or by visiting the podcast page at houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. Thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.